Brilliant. Good morning, everyone. It's lovely to see you. Are we all awake? Amazing. My name's Rory. I'm the worship and discipleship pastor here at HTC. Um, it's lovely to have the opportunity to speak to you this morning uh, rather than just sing to you. Um, please do keep those two passages open in front of you um, in the New Testament, in Ephesians and Colossians. Um, and as I start, let shall we pray together as I begin. God, we pray this morning that you would be speaking through your word to each one of us. Would you be softening our hearts to, to hear what you need to say to us? Would you soften them where they need to be softened? And would you be challenging and encouraging us all through your word today? Amen. Amen. So last week, um, we started our new sermon series, Why Do We Do What We Do? And, and in this series, we're going to take apart different aspects of the church service, of the church gathering. And we're going to try and reset our understanding of, of why we do them. So if you were here last Sunday, you'll have heard Jamie speak on why do we gather in the first place? Why do we come together and sing? Um, it's what we're going to look at today. Why do we sing? Out of all the topics in this sermon series, um, I think this one's probably the most subjective and possibly even the most divisive among ch- uh, people who come to church. Um, I don't know if you've ever come across this photo before. Um, it's a joke notice that was pinned up at the back of a church somewhere in America. It's titled The Perfect Worship Service, and it says this. After listening carefully over the past several years, we believe we have finally determined what those who attend our church really want in music, following our items that come up most frequently whenever this topic is discussed. More fast songs in the opening praise time and more slow songs in the opening praise time. More of those wonderful, lovely old hymns and less of those stupid dead old hymns. A longer and shorter time of praise at the beginning of the service and a shorter and longer time at the end. Songs to flow quickly into each other and long periods of time between songs for reflection. More repetition of songs so they can be learned and meditated upon while singing and less repetition of songs because it gets boring singing the same old songs over and over. More of those lovely arrangements with extra instruments and less of those showy arrangements with all those instruments. To sing the good old songs more often and to stop singing those same old songs. Songs to be sung in higher and lower keys. The band to play in the middle of the platform where they can be seen. Back behind the plants where they won't be a distraction. Louder, softer, faster, slower, more often and not at all. We get so hung up on our preferences that we totally miss the priority, the point of why we sing. So today we're not going to focus at all on our preferences. Because at the end of the day, that's just not important. Different styles of musical worship are equally valuable to one another. So what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the practice of singing in church. We're going to start by looking at three reasons that the Bible gives us as to why we might sing in church. And the first one is this. We sing because God commands us to sing. It's not accidental that we sing in church. It's not something that the early church just decided to do one day and we happen to be doing now. It's something that happens throughout the Bible. Um, We see the Israelites singing during the Exodus. We see Jehoshaphat's army singing in battle. We see David pouring out his heart in the Psalms. We see the Song of Solomon is exactly what it says on the tin. Then Jesus sang with his disciples the night before he died. The early church sang as we read in Acts. And Paul encouraged churches in Ephesus and Colossae uh, to sing as we've seen in today's passages. It's more than we're commanded to sing. We find singing happening everywhere in the Bible. In the book of Job, we read that creation sings. The morning stars sang together. All the sons of God shouted for joy. 
in Revelation, we read that, what, that singing is a heavenly occupation as well. It says all the saints and angels and elders were bowing down before the throne of God, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What's more, even God sings. In the book of Zephaniah, we read, the Lord your God is among you. He is mighty to save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Isn't that amazing? But why? Why would we be commanded to sing? Why would God ask us to sing to him? Is it just some outward sign of duty? Or is it more than that? Why singing and why not something else? I think there's something about the physical act of singing, about the way that God created us and, and that physical act, which means it engages our whole body. Singing doesn't just happen in our mouths, as, as we might assume. But actually, everything from the way we stand, our feet, our balance, the way we hold our shoulders, all the muscles inside of us, our diaphragm working with the lungs to push all the air up through our throat, into our mouths, where the sounds are formed, and then the way we project them out. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before, that it takes the whole of our body to work for us to sing. As if the whole physiology of singing was designed by God so we couldn't do it half-heartedly. We couldn't do it absent-mindedly. When we sing, we physically have to use our whole bodies. So it shouldn't surprise us that God commands all of us to participate in singing worship to him. When the Bible says, sing a new song to the Lord and come before him with joyful songs, we can know that that's not just a command for the choir or for the worship band. It's something that all of us need to do. Each one of us needs to do that. No matter how well we think we can or can't sing, our attitude and our approach to singing shouldn't be focused on our ability but on the fact that God has asked us to sing to him. Here's the second reason. We sing when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you spotted that in the passage in Ephesians this morning. It said, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. When we choose to put our trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we receive the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit living in us and working in us, helping us to worship him through singing. We need to cherish that. We need to cherish God's presence with us and in us. I don't know if you've ever um, heard of the missionaries John and Elaine Beekman. Um, they spent 25 years in Mexico working with a tribe called the Chol Indians. Um, and over their 25 years there, they saw 12,000 people come to know Jesus. Isn't that fantastic? When they first arrived, the Chol tribe had no word for singing. There was no singing in their tradition. Absolutely none. But when they, when they were converted, when they came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And can you guess what happened? They began singing to God. So much so that now they have words, they have songs for, for song, um, and they've even changed their name to the singing tribe. Have you ever left church humming the final hymn? I, I do that all the time. It might just be me, but um, if you have, have you ever considered that that might be the Holy Spirit working in you, teaching you, and helping you to overflow with praise to God? And then what happens when we do sing? Here's the third thing. We sing so that God's word would dwell in us richly. That's what our reading from Colossians tells us today. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another 
with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Music's a powerful tool. It's evocative. It has the ability, it has the ability to help us remember words. And God must have designed it that way. He understood its power. In the book of Deuteronomy, God gives Moses a song to teach to the Israelites. And he gives a reason too. Um, God says to Moses, Now write down this song and teach it to the Israelites and make them sing it, so that it may be a witness for me. God instructs his people to sing so that it would be a witness to him. Remind them of uh, what, they, what he had done for them. It's amazing to think of that power music has on our minds. Um, some of you will have heard of um, the late neurologist and author Oliver Sacks. Um, he wrote a couple of um, musicals and things like that. And also he wrote lots of books. And one of the books that he wrote is called Musicophilia. In that book, he describes the effect that music has on our brains. And this is um, a quote that he says in the book. Every culture has songs and rhymes to help children learn the alphabet, numbers, and other lists. Even as adults, we are limited in our ability to memorize series or to hold them in mind unless we use mnemonic devices or patterns. And the most powerful of these devices are rhyme, meter, and song. We can often see the power of music in uh, Alzheimer's patients who can't necessarily tell you the name of their spouse or their children, but can instant, instantly sing along with you when uh, a song they learned as a child comes on. Music helps us to remember words. So when God commands us to sing, we can know that it is to help us remember who he is, to help us in our faith. In the opening hymn, we sang the line, Christ has defeated every sin. Cast all your burdens now on him. Let that line dwell in you today. That Christ, in Christ, sin has no hold on you. He has defeated every sin. And we can come to him with all our burdens, all our struggles, all our anxieties, all our fears. And we can know that he will hear us and he will love us and he will guide us through those situations. A.W. Tozer once said that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And when we leave church, most of what we remember is probably in the words of the hymns rather than in the words of the Bible reading or the sermon or the liturgy. And so if the hymns are the main thing we're remembering, if that's going to be the most important thing about who we are that day, the things that we know about God through what we've sung in the hymns, we need to make sure we're singing songs that are edifying us as a church, words that are full of love and truth and grace. So those are the three reasons. We sing because uh, God has commanded us. We sing when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, and we sing to let the word of Christ dwell in us. We want to hold those last two things up together. We want to hold up God's word and God's spirit together when we sing. We want to be biblically serious and we want uh, to be spiritually alive, to know God using those words to transform us into Christ's likeness. That's a bit about the practice of singing in church. But what about the, our priorities when we do actually come and sing? What are our aims? What are our priorities? Um, this first one may be quite obvious, but... Um, we sing to glorify God. It may sound obvious, to give God all the glory he deserves. 
We want to glorify God because of what he has done for us, because he lays down his life for us as a once-for-all sacrifice, taking all the sin of us, shame of our sin on the cross and offering us forgiveness and the promise of eternal life if we turn to him. Out of his love for each one of us, he has made a way where there was no way for us to be in right relationship with God. And so if we're, if we're looking to glorify God, we shouldn't be withholding ourselves when we sing. We shouldn't be withholding ourselves because of pride or inhibitions that we may have. As we sing worship, we need to be laying everything down at the foot of the cross and be singing with gratitude and thanksgiving, just as Paul instructs in both the passages today. You might know the story in the Gospels of um, the woman who brings an alabaster jar to Jesus, and uh, it's all that she has. And she cracks the alabaster jar, this expensive jar with expensive perfume in, and she pours it all over the feet of Jesus. She doesn't withhold anything in her worship, in her singing. Not because of the social situation, not because of her financial situation, nothing. She pours out all her worship on the feet of Jesus. I wonder, when was the last time that we poured out ourselves on the feet of Jesus when we sing together? The Westminster Catechism opens by stating that man's chief aim is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. When we sing songs half-heartedly in church, is that giving God the glory he deserves? I think one person who understood this more than most um, is Johann Sebastian Bach. Lots of us will be big fans of Bach here. Possibly the greatest church musician of all time, writing over a thousand pieces of music for the church. He concluded each one of his pieces with three letters, S-D-G. It stands for Soli Deo Gloria, which translates to glory to God alone. In all his work, in all his music, Bach wanted to glorify God alone. And think about how many thousands of times each piece has been played since Bach wrote them, all to the glory of God alone. We can think of um, glorifying God as being the vertical axis of worship. From us up to God, we glorify God. But there's another less obvious axis or direction of our worship when we come to sing together. And it's a horizontal one. We sing in church to encourage one another. You may have noticed in both the passages today um, that the action that Paul's instructing is directed to one another. In Ephesians 5, Paul says um, to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. And then in Colossians, he says to teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. We gather to sing for the sake of one another. Last week, Jamie was talking about how we need to be devoted in love for one another. And this is a part of that. We are to build one another up through the words we sing, through the truths that we are singing. When we sing um, our offertory hymn in a minute, it's we have a gospel to proclaim. We are to encourage one another through it. We have a gospel to proclaim, good news for men in all the earth. He broke the power of death and hell that we might share in his victory. Hallelujah. Let's encourage one another when we sing that in a minute. So if our, if our times of singing are meant to encourage one another, if they're meant to teach and admonish one another, what should our attitude be when we approach these times of singing? How should we participate in times of singing? 
it's so important that we don't come with a consumer mindset. We shouldn't come to get anything from a time of singing. We come to give, to give glory to God and to give encouragement to one another. Our participation in times of singing can't be half-hearted. It can't be absent-minded. We shouldn't turn up late to church and miss the opening hymn. We shouldn't murmur along with the hymns because we're distracted or we're half asleep. We shouldn't chat about what's for lunch through the communion hymn. How is that encouraging one another? How is that building one another up? If I were to murmur, Praise my soul, O King of heaven. Is that going to encourage you? No, no it's not. But if I sing, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Obviously, it, hopefully it would. <laughs> yeah. Um, it needs to be our priority to participate fully. Church isn't a concert. It's not a source of entertainment. We gather to be devoted to one another and to God. And our singing is a part of that devotion. Some of you will have heard the story that hit some of the news uh, this last week um, of a father and a child who had been attending uh, Evensong at King's College Chapel uh, last, last weekend. And uh, the child was about nine, and he, he has autism. And um, during, during the musical worship at King's Chapel, um, the child got very excited. He likes to express himself in worship. And as part of that, he started to call out. He started to sing. He started to, to shout. And um, that excitement that he expressed in musical worship, um, it caught the attention of the stewards there. And um, during, during a quiet moment, they were asked to leave the service. How sad is that, that an expression of worship caused someone to be asked to leave the church? The next day, the father wrote to the dean of King's College Chapel, and he said this. As a Christian, I believe that worship is primarily intended to glorify God and may have misinterpreted your evensong as an actual worship service at which my son's expressions must surely be pleasing to God, the experience of other worshippers being secondary. Our removal makes more sense if King's College evensong were simply a concert held in a building that used to be a chapel. Then my son's expressions would frustrate the purpose of the event, which is primarily performative, lessening the satisfaction of certain tourists around the world who attend, but not those kinds of people you deem to be too distracting. If this is so, I apologize. Do you view our church services as a concert, as a performance? Do you come to church just to consume what might be enjoyable for you, but not really engage in the moments that might be uncomfortable? As this father said, our, our times of singing, our worship is meant to primarily glorify God. And so why would we hold back from singing praise and giving glory to him? Why would we hold back from encouraging one another by the way we express our worship? And if that means you might, want to, you might feel uh, convicted to lift your hands in worship, in praise, or calling out in adoration of Jesus Christ, please don't hold back. We want to be a church that accepts all expressions of worship. Our preferences shouldn't affect our participation either. If we only join in when it's a hymn tune we like, or it's uh, the organist we like, or the worship leader that we like, is that glorifying God, or is that just satisfying our own desires? In the words of Paul earlier in Colossians 3, 
We need to put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature. We need to put to death our consumerist attitudes. We need to set our minds on things of above, where Christ is, not on earthly things. We need to set our minds on Christ, who died so that we may be free from our sin and shame, and we can know our salvation in him as he reigns in glory. We need to set our minds on him, and we need to pour out our worship and our adoration and our praise to him in our times of singing. We sing out of love for God and love for one another. What a joy, what a privilege it is to do that. What a blessing that we can do that together, that we can encourage one another through those times. Let's not forget that. Wouldn't it be amazing if we were a church known to be passionately devoted to loving God through our singing? Not for any public acclaim, but for the encouragement that would be to one another. So today we're going, we're going to respond slightly differently to um, the sermon today. And in a, in a minute, I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to respond together by singing a hymn of praise, a doxology. This is, in essence, our creed for today. We're going to sing to glorify God, to praise God from whom all blessings flow. We're going to pour out our hearts in thanksgiving and gratitude to him. And in doing so, encourage one another through our worship. But before we do that, I'm just going to pray, and then I'll invite you to stand. Pray. God, we thank you for the gift of singing, for the gift of music. We thank you for the power you have given it to remind us of who you are and the truths of our faith. I pray as we sing praise to you, we would seek to glorify you in our hearts, in our minds, in our songs. I pray that you would be teaching us what it means to be devoted to one another. And God, if there's anything that might get in the way of each one of us from engaging with you, any priorities that might be in the wrong place, any preferences that might be getting in the way, any hard-heartedness to the songs we sing, God, I pray that you'd be taking that away. You'd be softening our hearts to you. God, through that, I pray that you'd be releasing joy in us as we sing together. The joy of encouraging one another. The joy of glorifying you. God, would you put the smiles back on our faces as we sing together. In Jesus' glorious name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Can I invite you to stand as we respond by singing the doxology together? <laughs>